0: Take your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Jonah. We are in the book of Jonah for three more weeks. Jonah's a quick book. That's one thing about the minor prophets. And we're going to be studying uh, the minor prophets all the way through the summer. I'm going out. This will be a phrase that I'll uh, talk about a lot. They're minor prophets not because of their importance. It's not like the people that were putting the Bible together said, "Let's throw all the ones that aren't important together and call them minor." They're minor prophets because they're short which is good because you can read through them very quickly, but sometimes they get overlooked because they're short. The book of Jonah is a book that has not been overlooked. It has been used and talked about for generations. It is a book that has been widely debated, a book that has been applied and discussed for generations. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue through this passing of the book of Jonah. We talked about last week, The prophet Jonah, we spent a lot more time last week than any other sermon that I've ever done on the prophet himself, Jonah. Now, I want to let you know real quickly that Jonah is not the main character of the book with his own name. In fact, if you look at the mentions of the names or the people in the book of Jonah, there is no doubt about who is the main character. It's not Jonah. It's not the whale. It's not the Ninevites. It's not the it's not any of those. The main character of the book of Jonah, the one that gets mentioned more than any other, is God. His name is there more than any other character in the book. And so we, we did spend some time on Jonah, but we did that to build an understanding of the fact that Jonah was not some renegade prophet that didn't follow the Lord the first time he was called. That Jonah had had some success. Jonah had been a successful prophet. Jonah had been called by God. Jonah had been used by God. And in the book of Jonah, what we see is one specific incident in the life of Jonah where he did not listen to the word of the Lord. He received the calling. He heard the word just like any other prophet would have heard. He listened to God, but then he decided that he didn't want to follow the Lord. He ignored the word of the Lord, and he fled the presence of God. Now, again, we mentioned this last week, but sometimes I think we are too harsh On Jonah. Because if you and I were given the same situation, my guess is you would have run away too. We talked about the fact that the calling of Jonah to go to a people wasn't like he was going to his best friends next door that he could have a conversation with. That he was called to go to the most vicious people of that era and one of the most vicious peoples that have ever existed. We mentioned last week that they would often drape the skins of their enemies over their walls to show what they had done, or make the skins of their enemies into a flag that they would carry into war. There were also people that celebrated in their writing the pillaging that they would do, the theft they would do on other people, and most horrendously, the rape that they would do to the young women they were in encounter. These weren't good guys. These weren't misunderstood men. These were the vilest men on earth. And Jonah is asked to go to them alone. I want you to imagine for a moment you're in your prayer time, in wherever your prayer time may be, in your lazy boy. I used to do mine in my lazy boy. I don't do that anymore. Because when I go to prayer in my lazy boy, you know what happens? I go to sleep. I used to make fun of my grandparents because any time they sat down, they went to sleep. And that, I turned 40, and that started happening to me. Of course, I have four kids running around, so when they're not there and I get still... I'm out. So mine's not in the Lazy Boy anymore. Maybe yours is a prayer closet. Maybe you have a desk. Maybe you have a chair. Maybe you have a place. But imagine that you are in your prayer place. You are praying to the Lord. You are seeking the Lord. And the Lord says to you, I have a new assignment for you. And you said, Lord, here am I. Send me. In the words of the prophet Isaiah, here I am, Lord. Here's what I want you to do, Lyle. I want you to fly to Mosul, Iraq. Because you see, Nineveh actually in present day is probably on the exact side of Mosul is today. I want you to fly to Mosul, Iraq, and I want you to go find the closest ISIS training camp that you can find. And I want you to carry with you two things. I want you to carry the biggest Bible you can find and a Jesus flag. And I want you to walk up to the gates of the ISIS training facility. I'll give you the coordinates. And I want you to knock on the gate and say, can I just come in and walk around for a minute? And then I want you to walk around and declare in that place, you're all wrong and you will soon be judged unless you turn to Jesus. Now, Not many of us are going to go, let me get my ticket, Lord, let's go. Right? Why? Because what's going to happen to you? Well, two things. There are two possibilities in that scenario. One is you're going to walk in and you're going to hear. Your, they're going to hear your message and they're going to go hard pass, string him up. Right? The the people that we're talking about in Nineveh were people that hung the skins of their enemy over their wall. Second option: you walk in, you declare the word of the Lord, repent, and they repent. And then you, Jonah the prophet, say, and they don't deserve that. These are the most vile people on earth. And so Jonah's in a dilemma. And we learned last week that he doesn't handle the dilemma very well. But you see, Jonah was a prophet of God and upstanding in every other way. He said no because God poked him at a specific point where Jonah was not willing to give up control. A lot of people will obey God to the place where it touches the core of who they are or what they're willing to sacrifice. And I'm talking about a lot of us in this room. There's some people in this room and there's some people in your life that won't obey God in the area of romance. Young people, Every other area of their life, they will obey God. They will do what God says. But when it comes to their love life, no, no, God, I got this under control. Some people, it's money. Won't be generous. Have to have certain luxuries in your life. Won't tithe. Because money is the thing that provides meaning and security in your life. And you say, God, I'll follow you until... Some of you, it's your kids or your grandkids. You won't release to the Lord to allow them to do whatever God calls them to do. You've got their life planned out or you're protecting them. You're putting a hedge of protection around them. That word that we use in prayer sometimes, it sounds real spiritual. I'm just trying to put a hedge of protection around them. And what you're doing is preventing yourself from releasing them to the will of the Lord. Some people, it's their work. I don't know how to turn it off. Even though it's harmful to your family, even though it's invading your spiritual life. For some of you, it's your preferences, how you like life, how you like things to be. You obey God in every area of your life until the point where God touches one and you say no. And that's what happened to Jonah. So you know the story, right? Jonah says, God says, I need you to go to Nineveh. I need you to tell them. I need you to preach them. And Jonah says, no. And not only does he say no, what does he do? He walks as far away as he can. He goes the opposite direction. He goes down and finds a boat that happens to be going. He gets in the boat. He's going to sail as far away as he can get. And in the midst of the trip, God intervenes again storm comes everything around things are all going to uh, around them they're tearing apart the the people start throwing all the cargo overboard you know it's bad when you start selling your business off any moment right Jonah's asleep in the bottom. They wake him up. What's going on, Jonah? Well, I kind of did something I wasn't supposed to do. Jonah, you're the cause of this. What do we do, Jonah? Well, just throw me over. We're not going to throw you over Jonah. Call out to your God. Pray to your God. And Jonah's at a place that we see he never, that we understand, calls out to the Lord in the midst of that. He is asked to by the pagan captain. He is asked to by the pagan soldiers. And he never says, there is any idea that he prayed to the Lord in that moment. Who knows, but that God would not have saved him in that moment if he would have prayed and repented that he would have not had to go through what he's about to go through in chapter two. But our evidence is that Jonah was defiant even when it was obvious that God was against him, that this area of his life, that his understanding of his own safety or his understanding that he didn't want these people to receive the mercy of God was so stringent, was so steadfast that he was unwilling to turn to the Lord when it was obvious that circumstances were against him. Aren't you glad we've learned better than that by now? So they throw him overboard. Right. And that's where we left it last week. And I, you know, kind of left it in a cliffhanger. Some of you said we didn't read to the end of chapter one. There's a verse at the end of chapter one. But here's the reality. I think the verse at the end of chapter one is supposed to be the verse at the start of chapter two. Because the idea is we were to see Jonah languishing, thrown overboard, and the soldiers, I want the contrast that's supposed to be there, that there is, they picked up Jonah, they throw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Jonah, defiant, disobedient, flailing in the ocean. The sailors, making a sacrifice to the God, he refused to pray to. Well, let me tell you something about the situation Jonah now finds himself in before we get to verse 17. And I know you know the story. The picture tells the story in some ways that's on the screen right now, and so you know a fish is coming. But Jonah was a guy that grew up in a desert. You know what you don't learn to do in a desert? Swim. Especially in an ocean. And we're not talking about standing on the edge and letting the water lap over your feet that all of you love to do. I can't wait for my time at the ocean. You like the beach. You don't like the open waters of the ocean. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? Nobody here thinks, well, you know what I'd love to do on vacation is to get out on a boat and go like two miles offshore and just jump out and let the boat leave me. Nobody's thinking, well, that would be fun, right? Right? That's where Jonah is, more than two miles. He's miles offshore. And then God steps in. Verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let me just talk for a moment, okay? We're going, to, we're going to talk for a moment and then set this aside because we're going to get to the point of the story. All right? Sometimes we make too big of a deal about this fish. First of all, earlier I said whale and some of you cringed because I said whale and not fish. Was it a whale or was it a fish? I don't know. Here's what I do know. The classification of whales as mammals did not come until the 1700s. So if they're writing the Bible and they said a large mammal swallowed him, that would have been weird. Do you understand? Like, we can't put modern interpretations of the classification of animals onto a people that did not have those classification of animals that didn't happen for twenty five hundred years later. So, I think it was a rather large fish. You know what I'm in the ocean, and I think a rather large fish is if I see it, a whale. All right, so it could have been a whale. Now, I know some people said, "Well, scientifically, it's not a fish." I understand that. From seventeen hundred on, it's not been a fish. I got that. All right. It was huge. That's all I know. It's not worth debating more than two minutes that I just have. Second thing is, do you think this really happened? Yes. How did it happen? I don't know. But if I were to make a top ten miracles in the Bible, I don't even think this one would make it. You got donkeys talking. Right? You got people dead, alive. You got seas splitting in half until the right people get through and then they all fall back down on it. You got fire enveloping stuff from heaven when it was no fire to be found. This might not make my top ten. Now it's miraculous. I don't understand how it happened and it could only happen through God's perspective, but it happened. And so what we know is two things about it. First of all, this is not the point of the story. Now, I know that even for our graphic, we put the fin, the tail of a whale or a large fish as part of a graphic, right? I know that's what people think about. When they think of Jonah, they would think, whew, the big fish, the whale. But that's not the thing. This whale was no more than an ancient Uber. To get Jonah from point A to point B. Now, it cost Jonah a lot more and was a worse ride than any Uber that you can be a part of, I would hope. But the point of the fish is not to be celebrated or debated or discussed. It is to get Jonah from one place to another. And as far as that service goes, it was amazing. You realize people still use fish for their whales, animals for their own purpose. You might see this story. I thought it was interesting because we're in Jonah. I'm talking about a whale fish. You might see the story about this this one this week. How many of you saw this story, right? Now, this was a beluga whale that, that swam up to the shore in Norway. And they noticed that there's something on it. You see, there's, you see the, the something on it there? It's a harness. And on that harness, it had Russian writing on it. And there was a camera attached to it. They think it's a Russian spy. That sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? But it appears that, and this is not the first time, that they are using this animal to scout the beaches of Norway with a camera attached to it. The whale was just a vessel, was an instrument used by the Russian government. I'm not comparing God to the Russian government. Okay? But the fish in this story is just a vessel to get God's man where he needs to be. It also goes to show the lengths to which God will take his people where he wants them to go. Now, I want you to think about the situation that Jonah finds himself in. He's inside a fish. There's some of you in this room who don't like touching fish. If you walk in a building where fish smell is prevalent, you turn up your nose. By all estimates, and this is scientifically trying to figure some stuff out that you really can't figure out, but the idea is that it would have been 108 to 115 degrees in there. Or about 60 degrees warmer than it is in here right now, whatever that may be. It was dark. People were, he would have been wrapped in seaweed and immobile. Imagine in a hot, dark, place where you can't move and the strange sounds and smells that are all around you. How many of you would have been freaking out in that situation? Yeah, can I get an amen, right? I mean, some of you freak out when you get a fish that's a little too fishy at the restaurant. It's just a little too fishy, right? He was inside the fish. He is the definition of helpless and hopeless, Look what I think is interesting, all right? Verse 17, if you look back at that verse, it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish. How long? Three days and three nights. Then verse 1 of chapter 2. Then, think about how it changes because the understanding in the original language is this. Then Jonah prayed. How long was he in there before he prayed? You want to talk about stubbornness. Right? He wouldn't pray on the boat. He wouldn't pray when he was on the outside. The people were getting ready to throw him overboard. He wouldn't pray when he got swallowed by a fish. He apparently didn't pray while he was in the open waters. We don't know how long that would have been. He didn't pray for the first day and night. He was in the belly of a fish. He didn't pray for the second day and night when he was in the belly of the fish. Only after the third day he was in the belly of the fish did he decide to pray. Again, aren't you glad we've moved past stubbornness? But the point of chapter 2 is that at some point he came to his senses. Somebody has said, and in fact there's a popular author, Tim Keller, who has named a book he wrote about Jonah, The Prodigal Prophet. When we talk about the prodigal son, you think about that moment when he walks away in that parable of Jesus. He walks away from his dad. He walks away from his family. He walks away from his safety. He walks away from his security. He goes down. He lives a raucous life. He wastes all his money. And then he gets a job feeding pigs, which a normal Jewish guy would never do because of the disgust and the uncleanness according to the law of the pig. And not only is he feeding the pig, there was a moment when he is with the pigs and he is feeding the pigs. And he looks down at the slop that he is feeding eating the pigs and he thinks, Man, that would be good to eat. And the scripture says he came to his senses. And one of the things that we understand here, one of the things that we know about what happened with Jonah is that in very similar ways to the prodigal son, who when you're reading the story, you go, he probably shouldn't do that. He probably should have realized that he probably should have turned away from that. He probably should have come back now with Jonah. We see he probably shouldn't have told God. No. Oh, when he got in the boat and the storm came, he probably should have realized something was going on. Oh, he should have replied to God. He should have prayed to God. Oh, when he got in the open water, he should have prayed to God that first day in the well. He should have said something to God. But it's day three, and the point of the story is twofold. First of all, he is a stubborn prodigal prophet, but the second point is he still understood when to turn to the Lord. If you are breathing air, it is never too late to turn to the Lord. And Jonah does what we should all do in the midst of terrible circumstances. And that is to pray. Here's what he says. Chapter two, verse one. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. Now I want you to notice how he carries this this passageway that God did of bringing him to this point. You remember how in the chapter 1, every time he went somewhere, he went down? He went down to get a ticket. He went down inside the boat. He went down into a deep sleep. Look what happens here in chapter 2, verse 3. You threw me down into the depths, into the heart of the sea. And the current overcame me. And your breakers and your billows swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I went down, and the water engulfed me up to my neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's greatest shut behind me forever. Do you see that progression? I went down. I went down into the depths. I went down wrapped in seaweed. I went down. And the point that he's making is that when he hit rock bottom, literally When you think about rock bottom, where did he hit? He hit the foundations of the mountains. At the very bottom of the sea is the idea. When he was as deep as he could be, and then inside the belly of the whale, he continues to go down. It was there that he cried out to the Lord. Now the thing I want you to understand real, real quickly here is that he had to come to a place in his life where he's not calling out to God for salvation from his own physical circumstances alone. That he is crying out to God because he realizes if this is it, if this is the end, then God's presence is more important than any circumstance change in his life. And in your life and in mine, God's presence is more important than any circumstance change in our lives. Now, I'm not talking about God's omnipresent presence, that it's everywhere. I'm talking about the manifest presence of God, the closer than a brother presence of God, the real presence of God being manifest in our life, being real in our life, being around our life. And Jonah realizes in this moment that through prayer he can get, even if... I don't know that Jonah's ever imagining being vomited out by this whale. I don't know that he's ever imagining being discarded from the well he's thinking this is it that this is the end of the line and he is in this moment praying that God's presence would understand I also think it's interesting that he starts his prayer in the belly of a fish with thanksgiving and praise like you know what the first words would have been in my prayer get me out of here not like Lord thank you for all that you have done you're gracious and holy. He's saying, I deserve what I have. One of the things we have to realize is prayer is not our personal concierge service. Some of you remember Zach Drake that was here um, for VBS a couple of years ago that we had worked with the Santa Monica church. We're still in contact with him. I talk to Zach about once a month and try to keep up with what's going on. And, and, uh, Part of what happens when you're trying to plant a church in L.A., you have to get other jobs. And some of you may remember that Zach, um, for a a long time, was driving cars and driving. uh, Some of you may not remember this all, but one of the jobs that he had for a long time was that he drove people to like award shows. Now he's changed because in one of those places he was driving them to the fanciest hotel in Santa Monica a lot. And that hotel said, hey, why don't you come work for us? And so Zach Drake is the doorman at the most prestigious hotel in Santa Monica. He sees all kinds of famous people. He told me, last time I talked to him, in the last week, he had seen Chris Pratt, who's the star of... Lost World and Marvel movies. He had seen Barbara Streisand. He had seen, her husband was with her, um, James Brolin that was there. He had seen the full house, entire full house gang from when the sitcom back in the 90s had all been there. He was talking about these people that are there. The latest gossip novels that were going on about some relationship. They had been in the thing. Britney Spears had been there two weeks ago and lost her cell phone and he had to find it for her. But his job as a doorman is, whatever you ask him to do, he does. Like, you need something. Hey, I need this from the hotel. He goes and gets it from you. He's like a concierge. And some people treat God like a doorman or a concierge at a hotel. Hey, God, can you do this for me? Can you get that for me? Hey, can you set that up for me? Hey, God, can you take care of that for me? And here's what I want to tell you. God is a terrible concierge. Because that's not his intention. His job is not to give us what we think we want. His job is to lead us towards character development and holiness. And in this moment, Jonah comes to realize that if I have nothing else but the presence of the Lord in my final hours, that is enough. And so he prays. And in the midst of his prayer, he also repents. Look at verse six at the end of it. He says, then you raise my life from the pit. Lord, my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me... I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. You know what I think is interesting in that moment? Again, he doesn't think he's getting out of here. How do I know he doesn't think he's getting out of here? Because what was the proper way to sacrifice in that time? Was a burnt offering of some sort. How does he say he's going to sacrifice? Thanksgiving, because he can't figure out how he's going to do a burnt offering in the belly of a fish. I will fulfill what I have vowed. And then he says, salvation belongs to you. The Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Three things about repentance that we see in there. In the Bible, the picture literally of repentance is you are walking one way and you turn and you walk back the other. The picture that we see in there, first of all, is we see that Jonah realized the futility of life without God. Jonah was in a place of hopelessness. The weeds, like chains, were wrapped around him. The bars, like prison, were closing in on him. And for a lot of people, that's what it takes to really come to a moment where God changes your life. A broken marriage, an accident, a bad health report, an addiction you can't shake, a prison sentence, a terrible grade. Failing at life, a closed business. And while those decisions in those moments can be impetuous and that people can cry out to the Lord not really wanting to seek the Lord, the reality is for many of us in those lowest moments is when we seek the Lord the most. And what we realize in that moment and what Jonah realizes is that even if he were to be able to get out and to live and then we would have gotten away to wherever he was sailing, that it would have been futile without God. He said, my life was fading away. I remembered the Lord. The second thing that he realizes is that the things that we try to put in God's place are empty. He understands the emptiness of idols. All sin ultimately begins in idolatry. An idol is just simply something we put in place of God. Something we love more than God. Something we value more than the Lord. The the Hebrew word is kabod. It means weight. It's something we give weight to more than God. Martin Luther said, to whatever we look for any good thing and refuge and need, that is what we meant by God. To whatever you give your heart and entrust your being, that is really your God. And he says that in the turning point of this entire book. In fact, it is the middle point of the whole book is chapter 2, verse 8. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. The point that he's making is when you follow after anything that is not of the Lord, you are wasting your energy. And then the last thing he realizes in the midst of all of that, and the last part of, of repentance, is that we trust the Lord for restoration. It's the message of the whole Bible that salvation belongs to the Lord. There are three kinds of people has been said in this world. There are the irreligious, those that don't want to follow religion at all. There are religious and then there are those followers of Jesus. Irreligious people don't believe they need salvation. Religious people believe they can find salvation in themselves. Christian followers of Jesus understand that salvation belongs to the Lord and to the Lord alone. It is pure grace. There was no reason for Jonah to be recommissioned or to be restored or to be brought back to his post. But God did it anyways. As I stand here today, the realization is that he wants to do that again and again in lives across this room and in our church. That he wants to restore us to who he's called us to be. So the question this morning is, have you completely surrendered to the Lord? Maybe it's not that you're at rock bottom right now, or maybe you are. Maybe you're fighting against a stream that you don't understand how you're going to overcome it. Regardless of where your situation is, have you surrendered completely to the Lord? Let's pray together.